I want to uh, thank you guys for being out here. It's, it's, it's just great, right, to, to be able to, to show up in a place where you're accepted and you're loved and you're cared for. Uh, we do everything with you in mind, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the top of the steps, the shoveling the snow, you know, the cleaning out the rooms, the chairs. We, we do it with you in mind. Um, and we're grateful for those who work behind the scenes to make this happen. Uh, we don't take that for granted. And I want to thank you guys for continuing to do that, those who work behind the scenes and you don't see regularly doing what they do. The, the worship team sounds so good because they rehearse. Now I'm going to say that again. <laughs> the worship team sounds good because they rehearse. Okay? Uh, the more you practice these habits, as Pastor Zach was saying, the more you practice these habits, the more you shut off the bachata and listen to Christ-driven music. All right? The less that your hips will move and the more that your hands will be raised. Okay? So you have to begin to change some things in your life so that you're gathering in a room where you're not being exhorted to worship. You're coming into the room to worship. You're bringing it into the room. Amen? So I'm grateful again for being here. I'm Pastor Gus. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm grateful that you're here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Uh, make this your home um, and allow yourself to be blessed, as many as have. Um, many, many years ago, my, my, I was about, I don't know, 27, 28, I think it was. I'm trying to do the math. I think I was 28. Yeah, I think I was 28. I remember now. <laughs> I was 28. My, my, you know, I'm the firstborn in my family, right? Anybody know the responsibility of the firstborn, right? right? You're, you're the guinea pig. They, they try everything on you, right? And it's a shame because then you watch years later as the youngest is born, and I'm like, you didn't treat me like that. Like, you want to talk to him and have his inner voice. I got smacked. Right? So, there's, there's, you know, so the, the oldest one has to deal with certain things. But along the way, you know, I was going to have children of my own. And uh, God blessed me with a son. Like, we knew it was going to be a son. I was excited about it. I had all these plans. Like, my son, I'm an athlete. You can't tell. You know, um, I've, I've shrunken throughout the years. But... I had all these um, expectations. Like he was going to be an athlete. He was going to make it to the pros. I was going to make sure of that. I was going to train him. I was going to prepare him. I was going to do everything I can to put him in a position where he can become a pro. I had that opportunity, and I squandered it. I wasted it. But I wanted to make sure that I put everything in him, right? And I had all these expectations. And before he was even born, I had the glove. I had the bat. I had everything that he was going to need as soon as he came out of the womb. Two days after he was born, we had to take him back to the hospital. And um, it started. It started where the doctor started to say, there's something terribly wrong with your son. There's something just not right. Bring him back. He was born Christmas time. We thought that was a Christmas gift. We celebrated. Took him back. They ran a bunch of tests. Couldn't tell what was going on. So they take him home. He started to get sick. Started to get multiple infections back to the hospital. We would spend five, six, seven, eight days at a time in the hospital taking turns. You know, my wife, and you know, they would set it up, and we would we just back and forth, guys. At about two years old, they finally concluded running some tests, what it was that was going on. He had this rare uh, disease, and his mortality rate was not promised past three years old. And so they told us take him home and enjoy him. I don't know if you've ever been to this place where you've had this expectation and then you were met with disappointment. I don't know if you thought that the marriage would last forever and it didn't. And the kids will grow up, you know, great and they're just pretty wayward right now, just all over the place. You thought your finance would be further along than you thought, but it's not there. You train and prepare for this career and this job, but no one's called. Expectations, disappointments. If I ask you to stand up, each one of you has a story that you've experienced, some form of expectation and disappointment. There is this place, there is this, this intersection. That's why it's easy to love here. If you're listening on the voice, the audio, you can't see what I'm doing. 
I'm drawing this intersection. This place where expectations and disappointments meet. I want to talk a little bit about today about how we get there. And how do we act when we're there. So I want to take you to a scripture, hopefully, that will begin to walk us through this journey and allow us to see how is it that we wind up in this place. So if you can stand, I'm going to be reading from, it'll be on the screen. If not, it's an insert, hopefully, in your bulletin. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3 will read. The insert will have through 7. I'll pick up 7 later on. But I want us to focus on just this moment here. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? You may be seated. The grass fades and the flower shall wither away, but the word of the Lord will last forever. I am somehow get the opportunity as we read this because we are here thousands of years later and not there where John was. But as I read the text and as I read scripture, there's something wrong here for me because John knew that he was the one. Like there was no doubt based on scriptural evidence that John knew that he was the one. And I'm going to walk you through some scriptural evidence so that you can see. It says here, and I want to make sure that we read it as you know, we go through it because it's so important for us to see as we connect these docs, okay? In Luke chapter 1, and we've read this before, verses 39 to 44, there is a scene that happens. And it says that at the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, so Mary's traveling, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The baby in that womb was John. John from the womb knew that it was Jesus. That Jesus was the one. This is just the beginning of John's scriptural evidence in which he's asking this question. And we'll get to why he's asking this question. Because he wound up somewhere. Right? Like, and this is important for us to understand. Because this place where we wind up, we don't get there by accident. We get there because we have these expectations. That this hope that things are going to work out. That things are going to go this way. Right? And most of the time it's us trying to make it look the way we want it to look. I had these expectations. They were my expectations. Not what God was trying to do, not what was about to happen, but what I wanted to happen. And, and John from the womb knew this. Let's go to the next scripture. John chapter 1, verse 29 and 34. John's now grown up. He's fulfilling what he's been told to do. What he's supposed to do, he is the forerunner. He is six months above Jesus, right? Six months, he's already birthed. He's growing up. He's, he's going out and he's doing these things, right? He was told that he was going to speak about someone that was to come. That he wasn't the one, but there was someone that was coming that he was not worthy to tie his straps, right, on his shoes. So, so that's really, you know, humble of him saying that. But look what it says. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. John knew. So when I read and he's asking this question, are you the one or should we wait for another? John, you know he's the one. Right? And this he goes on and says, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And 
I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Why is John asking this question when he knows the answer? Well, let's see what's happened to John, right? Because this is important for us to understand what's happening in John's life. One of the things that's happened in John's life at this moment, where is he? He's in prison. There's something about the prisons of life, those places where aspirations, dreams, and hopes go to die. There are these places where we wind up spiritually, emotionally, physically, where we wind up in these places and we're like, oh man, like, like this is it. Is this all life is supposed to be? Is this what my marriage is going to be? Is this how my kids are going to work out? Am I always going to be trying to catch up with my finances? And physically, am I always going to be going to the doctors? Am I always going to be visiting hospitals? Am I going to have to take this medication forever? There are the prisons of life that cause us to forget what we know. <laughs> it causes us to forget what we know. We wind up here because we place expectations on someone or something that is meant to satisfy how we want an outcome to happen. We call that manipulation, don't we? Like I'm trying to fix things and change this narrative and control things, right? Like, like you know that control is an illusion. And if you're around here enough, you know that control is an idol that we run to when God is not enough. When God doesn't move fast enough for us or work things out for us, we're like, God, can I take this? Because you're taking a little too long. I know a shortcut. I know how to get around this. I know how to get under this. Let me, let me take it from you because I know you're busy. You got these world things going on, and this might be small, but let me take it. I can handle it. How many of us have tried to help God? You don't have to raise your hand or say anything. Just say amen, hallelujah, glory to God. Right? Many of us have attempted to do that. And we place expectations on things, on people. Let me tell you something, what the Bible says, right? The Bible says that I am a flawed individual. Me, I'm keeping it on me, not you guys. You guys are all beautiful, fantastic, perfect. <laughs> I'm a flawed individual, a marred jar of clay. I am, according to Romans, says that I am a sinner who falls short of the glory of God. Because I stand up here before you and I have this title of pastor, you place expectations on me. You expect me to act in a particular way, be a particular way, show up to every event that you put on. Remember your birthday. Remember your anniversary. Remember your kid's birthday, your mother's birthday, everybody's birthday. <laughs> to attend all your anniversaries, to visit every single person in a hospital. Is that fair? No. But you do that. You place expectations on people that leads to what? Disappointment. And if you sit in disappointment too long, you build resentments. That's why people sometimes leave the church. A pastor never called me. First of all, I don't even know who you are. Why? I don't see you enough. You come once on Christmas, once on Easter. In a crowd. I'm not going to see you. You don't talk to me. One of the things I love about this, and I've always talked to this about with Pastor Edwin, is I don't want to get so big that we can't touch our people. I don't want to get so big where we can't spend a few minutes in a room talking with people or waiting after service and talking with people. Right? Like, I don't want to get that big. But I know this, guys. I know that there's this place where we come to, and it happened with John. Why? Because John had these expectations. And let me tell you what they were, because this is what sets him in this place, and this is what sets us in this place as well. Now, John, according to the scripture here, John was preaching, right? Like John is preaching what? Repentance, at least baptism, that's what he's working on, right? Come, repent. He's telling all the people, right? Because there's someone coming who's going to baptize you, the Holy Spirit of fire. That's what he's talking about, right? It's not me. I'm not the guy. I'm just screaming and letting you know that this guy's coming and this is what he's going to do. But he does this. 
He says, but when he saw many, Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 to 12, it says this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? He's calling them snakes, literally. You, you guys are snakes. We talk about a snake, you know, you slither, you're kind of sneaky, all that stuff, right? That's what he's telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees. By the way, this was just Jewish council. This is the title that they have. You can call them Democrats or Republicans. I don't care, right? The point is that this is what he's saying. He's pointing to the finger to those religious leaders who are supposed to be caring for the people, but they were lining their pockets. See that? So he calls them vipers who warned you, he says, to flee from the coming wrath. Again, hold on to that word wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, he tells them. And do not think that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. Right? So what are they? He's trying to remind them. Don't try to hide behind Abraham. Right? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He says the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He's not talking nice to them. Right? Like, like he's letting them have it. Again, we're talking about expectations. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know why he was disappointed? You know the expectation he had when Jesus showed up? Fire. Wrath. John wanted Jesus to take care of the Pharisees. Come on now. That's your prayer for your enemies, isn't it? That's your prayer. You said, strike them down, God. Send fire from the sky. That neighbor that keeps making noise, Lord, take care of him. I give him over to you. That's what we do. That was John's expectation. That's why he wound up in this intersection of expectations and disappointment because he wanted Jesus to act the way he wanted Jesus to act. He had an agenda. So when Jesus comes on the scene and he's standing there and he's wondering, fire, when's it coming? Wrath, when's it coming? And Jesus is talking about love. He's talking about forgiveness. He's talking about turning the other cheek. He's talking about walking the extra mile. He's talking about love. This is why John asked that question because he forgot the truth. He forgot the truth. The truth is that he wanted Jesus to act in a particular way. And John had lived a pious life. If you look at John, right, he was obedient. He was told to go and do this. So obedient that he actually looks at the king and say, you're a sinner. Why are you sleeping with your brother's wife? I'm like, I would have like refrained from doing that, <laughs> right? But he wasn't there to play around. He was there to do what God has called him to do. He understood that was coming a moment where he was going to decrease and Christ was going to increase. Why? Because that's what he was sent to do. He understood his charge. He understood what he was supposed to do. So it begins to happen with him even to the point like he denies the worldly pleasures so that he can fulfill what God has told him to do. If you look at the text, like John doesn't dress up with Gucci. He doesn't have Louis Vuitton or Versace. It says camel hair. Now, if anyone is allergic, that's like wearing wool in the summer. And then his diet wasn't from Whole Foods, right? It was locusts and honey, although when you read scripture, even culturally, there was some nutritional value to these things. Now, I wouldn't eat locusts, right? They're too crunchy. Anything that crunches in my mouth just doesn't work for me. Honey, I could see myself doing. But this guy denied himself the pleasures of life. Didn't go around with gold chains, acting like, hey, I got it going on. He just understood, this is my charge. So he was in a place where he had this expectation. I'm living this way for God. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. I am serving. I am loving. I am doing this, God. And then God doesn't do what you want him to do. And you wind up in this place because you forgot. Can I be clear about something? God doesn't work for you. 
That's a revelation. That's a word for you to carry out of here. Man, I thought he worked for me. I thought he was employed by me. I thought that if I asked him to do something, he would do it. I asked God to heal my son. I cried and wept. I, I, I went out as I was working, looking for the death that was trying to claim my son. And I did some reckless things, thinking that a spiritual battle is fought with carnal weapons. There are expectations that we place on each other that it's not fair. You hear things, you know, you need to manage your expectations, right? You need to really take it, you know, a notch down. Don't do that to yourself. You know, everybody who has children, just know this. They're not the same. You surprised? But you haven't changed the way you parent. You, you parent the same way. You're parenting this child and this child in this cookie-cutter mentality, thinking, if I do it this one, I do it this one, eventually I get it right. No. Every single person has a unique thumbprint upon them. Every single one of us. Everyone has a capacity they can carry. Everyone knows that they can run, some can walk, some can jump higher. That, that's the way it is. And when we place expectations, I don't know about you, but have you heard somebody told you, why can't you be more like your brother yeah. or your sister? <laughs> or worse, you're going to be just like your father. And by the way, my father has a rap sheet that long, <laughs> right? Like that's what you're wishing on me. So we have to be mindful about placing expectations. Not, listen, not even today, right? There are expectations that we're placing. There were people I spoke to just a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, man, I thought we were coming around the corner with this whole COVID thing. You know, I started to go out. I stopped using my mask. I said, well, that's why we're back where we are. Because <laughs> no one told you to stop using your mask. Like, like no, you know, so, so there's this expectation they place, and now, oh, man, everything's got to shut down again. They've got to start changing things. So what happens? You're at this place of expectation and disappointment. Why? Because you want things to work out the way you want them to work out so you can do what you can do because it's all about you. And then you realize that in the midst of whatever's going on out there, God is calling the church to act and be in a particular way. Like there needs to be a distinction between those who are going through it without Christ and those who are going through it with Christ. There has to be a distinction, right? That's called faith. And, and what happens is we place expectations on, on governments to solve problems that we know are not carnal. They're spiritual. So if anything the church should be doing in these days is crying out to God and praying to God and asking God to move in a way to protect us, to keep us, to help us evangelize the world. Expectations met with disappointments. Why? Because our expectations are not meant for us to place them in places they don't belong. God doesn't work for you. You work for God. <laughs> You're employed by God. There was a moment in my life where I was employed by Satan. And you know that the wages of sin, right, lead to death. And that's what was happening. Death is not so much you dying physically, although that can happen too, but there was this, this sense of indifference. There was this sense of disconnect. I didn't care for humans the way I care for humans today. Why? Because my eyes have been opened. And my heart has been softened. I was a stranger. I was a rebel. I was distant. And God saw fit to meet me where I was and began that work in me. And he used this expectation I had to begin to draw me to my knees and bring me to a place of repentance. Amen. My prayer was simple when I was faced with this expectation of what my son was going to become. I prayed to God and I said, God, take care of him and I'll serve you. It's been 30-something years now. My testimony is simple. My son is in this room somewhere. That's my son. My son's over there. He just turned 33 years old. Okay, a kid who didn't want to go to school, go to school. And by the way, if, 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 if you speak to him and he doesn't hear you right away, it's because he can't hear out of one ear. He's not ignoring you, he just can't hear out of one ear. And he has a tendency to put his headphones on. Okay? So, it's, you know, it's just crazy how he's adjusting, has he adapted to things. Like, you know, I remember the first time I bought him headphones and he cut one of them. I'm like, dude, I just paid $30 for those things. What's wrong? 
I don't need the other one. Right? So that's his way of adapting to things. But guys, I say this to say that my expectations were not what God had planned. God was going to use the circumstances in my life to get me and my wife to come to him. Because at the end of the day, no matter how many botanicas we visited, come on now, Spanish people, you can say hallelujah. Okay? For you people who are English, you don't understand what a botanica is. It's a place you go so that you can get help. It's not the church. It's a church because they're listed now. In, in the Protestant side of religion, Santeria has a place in the Protestant religion. Okay? And no matter how many we went to botanicas, no matter how many Manito de Sabache or Josarios or any of that stuff, it didn't work. Only when we came to Christ did God begin to make those moves. Only did God begin to make those moves things began to happen that we didn't expect. Doctors started to gather. We was shipped to a different location, a different hospital. Specialists started to surround my son. Medicine that was not available in the market was used on him. My son is here today because in the midst of my expectation there was a revelation that came. Only God. Only God can help us. So, so what I need you to do in this place where expectations meet disappointment, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to remember. Remember. What do I need to remember? Well, we just finished the whole year. Can you talk to me about how your March was? Can you talk to me about how your April was? Can you talk to me about how your May was or your June? Or let's just talk about three or four days ago. When you didn't know what was going to happen, when you didn't know what was going to happen, maybe you lost a loved one and, and you didn't know, it broke your heart, it shattered you, and you were like, I wanted to give up, but guess what? The God who was there with you then is a God who will be with you here in this place of expectation and disappointments. The reason we get disappointment is that we place expectations on something and someone because we want the outcome to be what we want it to be. How many of us don't want to live happy and joyous and fruitful lives? <laughs> all of us want. We all want, you know, the pie in the sky. We all want, you know, the cake. We all want the car, the house, the well-behaved children, the wonderful husband and wife. I don't know where that is, but it could be, like, <laughs> where, where is it? Neverland or something like that where you never grow up? <laughs> right? Like, 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 really. The reality of life is that we go through what we go through. Trusting in God. Being obedient to his word. Walking in faith. Led by his spirit. Embraced by his word. And a community that reminds us, you know, you're not in this alone. We've gone through this. We've all lost loved ones. And, and guys, this is not me not saying that I know what you're going through. That's the last thing I want to say. Your experience is your experience. It's real. And it's okay for you to feel that. And you're in a community of people that have experienced this as well. It's different for all of us because all our relationships are different. You know, someone, you might lose someone and it's like, oh, okay, you know, God bless you, you know, and then it's someone that you're completely destroyed and completely broken and completely disheartened and you don't know what to do next. It's, it's just God has to be enough. I have to trust God in these moments where I find myself in this place. First, I have to acknowledge that my expectations were something that I should not have even attempted. Well, I expect you to behave this way. Because here's what we do too. The world puts it on us, doesn't it? The world says, you Christians, I expect better from you. Well, let me take you to Romans 3.23. It says I'm a sinner. I'm a saved sinner. I'm trying to sin less, but I'm not going to be free from sin until I am in heaven. Oh, that was a blessing to all of us today, isn't it? Like, like that's liberating. That's like, oh, weight off my shoulder. Oh, my God. I don't feel so horrible about what I did a few minutes ago. That is the work of God, and that's the reason. Listen to me. In this place where we find ourselves in expectation and disappointments, you have to understand that there is something that he's doing. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to make us happy. He came to make us holy. And the process of holiness is this thing called sanctification. 
And, and if you don't know what sanctification is, the definition of it, let me just read the definition for it because it's important for us to know what we're working from because we use these words a lot and, and there's an assumption that we think, oh, these people know what they mean. We use the word today in our meeting, dividend. I'm definitely going to carry that one with me for a little while. It says this, right? It says the action of making or declaring something holy. The action or process of being freed from sin or purified. Right? Watch this. It says, I'm going to say it again because it's repeated over and over again. The action of causing something to be or seem morally right or acceptable. So there is this process, this action that begins in your life. The minute you're justified, the minute you say yes to Jesus, you were guilty, now you're not guilty. The slate is clean. You have an opportunity now to walk with God. Do your problems go away? No, but you guess what? I'm lifted from above them, and I'm able to see what they are. I'm able to see now, okay, there is a mess I created, but somewhere I read that even that mess, he's going to work it out for good. He's going to take my mess and make it a message. As I walk with him, he's going to begin to reveal that stuff to me. And slowly but surely. Guys, in about the 90s, I wound up in debt to the IRS. I owed them $30,000. Now, when you get that letter in the mail, like I felt like killing my accountant. Like literally. $30,000, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And no, the IRS is vicious. They're vicious. He, I called, they called me up, and it says, uh, so what are your assets? He says, well, I don't really have a lot of assets. You know, the guy told me, sell your furniture, sell your TV, sell everything. I'm like, are you kidding me? He says, no, I'm serious. I need you to sell everything and start paying us back what you owe. We're going to put a lien on everything. We're going to freeze everything. And I'm like, yo, these guys are gangster. Yo, and they'll do it. Yeah. Anybody, right? All of a sudden, you go to the bank, ATM card, denied. <laughs> I say that to say that as I walked with God, first of all, I learned how to budget. I became knowledgeable of the fact that my money did not belong to me. It belonged to God. And I was wasting it frivolously. So I learned to budget. And I mean really budget. Like, you ain't buying that. What do you mean I'm not buying that? So no, we can't. No, no, you don't need three place packs. Just take two and wash the other one. Don't worry about it. Like, I really became like Gestapo in this thing, right? I say this only to say that as I learned to do this, as I learned to tithe, as I learned to bring what belonged to God. Listen to me. This is important. This is not you giving to God because God's going to get back to you. This is you training yourself up and realizing that God has given you everything you need to live. What's gotten you in trouble is that plastic credit card. What's gotten you in trouble is borrowing money that they tell you you can pay back later. And none of you look at the percentage that says 19.5 daily. And you think paying the minimum is going to get you out of debt. Now, this is not a financial class, not a financial message. I'm simply saying, I learned to budget, and I continue to tithe. And in the process, God opened doors. And God allowed me to work, and allowed me to do this, and allowed me to do that. And guys, four years later, I paid it all off. This is for the glory of God. Why? Because I understood some principles that we have to learn how to live with. First of all, your money is not your money. It's God's money. Your life is not your life. It's God's life. Your body is not, <laughs> your body is not your body. It's God's body. You are here for the glory of God. According to the Bible, it tells me that I've been created for good works. That I've been created for the glory of God. And how does he do this? The biblical definition of sanctification says this, a progressive work of God and man. Now, I love this part because I realize it's an active part on my part. If God is trying to lead me in a particular way, then I have to be able to follow. That's called obedience. Right? We know what disobedience looks like. We've all done that or experienced it. But he goes on to say, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. 
it's important for us to understand that there are things in our lives that we hold on to, that we shouldn't hold on to, things that we participate in that we shouldn't, things that we care for and love more than we love Christ. There's this quote from this book. It's called The Royal Way of the Cross. This uh, French uh, Roman Catholic archbishop, theologian, poet named Francois Villeneuve. In his book, he says this, God must tear from us what we love wrongly, unreasonably, or excessively. That which hinders his love, in so doing, he says, Francois says, he causes us to cry out like a child from whom one takes a knife that which he may maim or kill itself. He says, we cry loudly in our despair and murmur against God. Why did you do this? Why did you take this away from me? And sometimes even against our parents. You know what God does? He says he lets us cry and saves us anyway. God sometimes must tear from us what we love wrongly, unreasonably, and excessively. My expectations were an act of pride, arrogance. That's what it was. I was going to make him not what God wanted to make him. I wanted to make him what I wanted to make him. So I wind up in this place of expectations and disappointment. And I have to tell you something, that when we get there, we get there because we place expectations on something that we shouldn't. We need to guard against that. And when we wind up there, what we want to be able to do is to remember first and foremost. Acknowledge him. Realize our need for him. Repent of the expectation we placed on something that wasn't worthy of the expectation we placed on them. I know that we all want things to be better, but why? Why? I've heard people sometimes walk around and say, yeah, I'm blessed, highly favored, and full with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I'm waiting for them to say they walk on water too. And that's okay. That may be you deflecting what's really going on inside you. Like when you're honest and transparent, that's when God begins to work with you in your life. God begins to work with you when you're transparent and you're authentic and you say, God, I am messed up. Like you, you get in my mind and you flash on the screen what I'm thinking sometimes. You're going to be like, damn, pastor, what's up with that? Right? It's, it's, I can do the same thing with everybody in this room right now. We have that ability and flash your thoughts. You'd be like, oh, my God, shut that off. But this is the reality of where we are, right? And what I love about Christianity, guys, it's not this religion on the outward that causes us to be acting in a particular way. It gets inside of us and begins to work on the inside and begins to remind us, listen, this is who we are, but at the same time, this is who we can be. Because it says it is an action. It is a progressive action of God and man. Man cooperates with what God wants to do. What is God's ultimate goal? I want to make you more like my son so my glory is reflected so the world that's in darkness can see the light in you. It's, it's not that complicated. We complicate it because first, expectations. Secondly, you know what else we do? We think that it's what we want. We think that it's all about us. And that's where we get in trouble. Oh, but I'm supposed to be happy. You know, you don't understand. You know, I'm 30-something years old, and I'm still not in a relationship. Hey, take it easy. Pump the brakes. Be careful what you ask for. Work on yourself. Make yourself worthy of a mate. Because you have to understand that it's a daughter and a son of God that you're coming together with. And God will hold you accountable for how you behave. So these expectations we have lead us to disappointment because these expectations are not meant. Do I live without expectations? No. I expect my car to start up when I turn it on. If it doesn't, then I have a problem. Right? Because the manufacturer said it's supposed to turn on. You know, so, so there are things that we expect. I expect to be able to walk and not fall down. You know, like, it's just basic things. 
But when we place expectations on God to behave the way we want him to behave, I guarantee you, all the time, you will be disappointed. It'll change your prayers. Stop asking God for things. God is not absent-minded. He knows what you need. And if he provides for the sparrow, right, if he provides for the lesser you know, uh, species, you're made in his image. How much more is he not going to care for you and provide for you? There's a difference between a need and a want. And the problem is that we ignore the needs and jump into our wants and realize that we sometimes sell our souls to get that. For what reason? Because there's something inside us that's wrong and God is saying, that's what I want to fix. I want to fix that pride, that arrogance, that self-sufficiency, that, that self-righteousness, that attitude that it's about you. It's not about you. It's about me working through you so that the world can see me through the work I've done in you. It's a progressive act. As we cooperate, God is working. So when I get to this place, I have to remember, first and foremost, if you take this intersection and you close it, I'm going to get really fancy now, right? When I get to this place, I got to remember the cross. I got to remember what Jesus Christ did at the cross. He paid my sin debt once and for all. That I have this opportunity to live this abundant life, this joyous life, not absent from suffering and pain. I go through suffering different today. I go through pain different today because when I get to this place, I remember that the God that is with me today was the God that was with me yesterday. And I got to tell you, he got me out of some messes in these 30 years that I've come to the Lord. And even before that, he got me out of some messes. I attributed to being slick and smart and faster back then. But it was God constantly working in my life. We're going to transition now into our communion time. And our communion time is something that you also have to understand that when Jesus met with his disciples in that place that was prepared for this meal, they transitioned from having a Passover. From here on in, you're going to have this thing called communion. And you're going to do it in remembrance of me. Does everybody get that? So when we participate in communion, what we're doing is we are remembering Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. When he sat with them, he talked about the significance of the bread being his body. And he says that this body is broken for you. And he talks about the drink being significance of his blood that atones for our sins. Atone just means that it wipes it away. It cleans it. When John asked this question, are you the one or do I have to wait for another? I want you to see Jesus respond to him. In verse 4, he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. So John sent his disciples to ask this question and God, Jesus says, go back and tell them this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You take this message back to him. He finds himself in his place of disappointment, but I want you to take this message and tell him this is what's happening. It's not wrath. It's not fire. It's not death. It's life. It's joy. It's peace. It's love. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's compassion. These are the adjectives that should be attached to your life today. To our lives. And that is the work of God. It doesn't happen overnight. We've all been hurt. We all want revenge. It's a natural human reaction. But if we're to walk in the light that is Christ and what the cross accomplished, we have to act in love. We have to forgive. 
We have to free ourselves from those prisons of life that lead us to a place of disappointment and resentment. And then what happens? There are two movements that happen in our lives. We're either going to move toward God or away from God. And when we're disappointed and build resentments, we move away from God because he didn't do what we told him to do. God doesn't work for you. God wants to work in you and through you for the glory of God. God is enough. God is all we need. So when we get to this place, remember the cross. Remember what you were two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, how much it hurt, but here you are today. You're still here. There's a resiliency that's been built into you. There is a DNA that's in you that allows you to overcome as you walk with Christ. Let's get rid of our expectations for a moment. And let's just pray and say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you want to do, do it. There's a story in the Bible where this quote comes, even after everything that's happened, even after everything that's said, even when his own wife tells him, won't you curse God and die? He says, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When I find myself in this place of expectation, disappointment, I want to remember, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let it rain. Let it be hot. Let it be cold. Whatever it is, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So as we prepare right now for communion, there's just a couple of instructions that I want to put out there. We do this in remembrance of him. The sacrifice that was made at the cross. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ, what I mean by not knowing Christ is you haven't confessed Christ as your Savior or your Lord. Right? You haven't acknowledged that you're a sinner, right? And you haven't said yes to Jesus. It's real simple. You're in this room because you've been invited to come into this room so that Jesus can introduce himself to you and therefore provide you with this life. The Bible clearly says that you are victorious. So if you're in here and you don't know Jesus, there are two things I want you to do. One is, this is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. We'll pray together and we'll invite you into this family. We'll welcome you in. There'll be a celebration. But if you don't know Jesus, this is not a time of the service for you to participate in. Because there's a couple of things that we're given as instructions. We first and foremost have to understand that this is a moment that Jesus established for his believers to take part of in remembrance of him. If you're not a believer, then you don't understand what that means. We want you to be here and experience this and understand the significance of it, but we don't want you also to fall prey to the lie that I can do this too and it's okay. There is a love that God wants to give you, embrace you, and provide for you. The next thing, that if you're a believer, you have to examine yourself. Now, there is sin in this room, because we're all sinners. But if there's something that you have to repent about, if there's something that you have to seek forgiveness, maybe you have to get up from your chair and walk across the room and say, hey, brother, forgive me. I thought this, I said this. This is the time to do it, because as we approach this table, I don't want to approach it in a way haphazardly where I think, oh, I can eat the bread and drink the juice, and it's okay. Don't be concerned about the people next to you. <laughs> They're waiting for you to act. Don't be concerned about them. Be concerned about yourself. This is a you moment. So I want you to take a few minutes. We're going to put a prayer on the screen. We're going to pray this prayer together, and then we'll be able to take communion. But it's a moment to reflect, a moment to examine, a moment to look within ourselves and say, God, I need to get this right in my life. I need your help. It's an opportunity for us to just take a moment and reflect. It's a new year, not another year. It's a new year. I don't want to carry old behaviors, old thoughts, old feelings into the new year. They didn't help me last year. In fact, they hindered me. So I want us to be able to just embrace this, this moment as you're sitting there, you know, your head bow, just begin to think and talk to the Lord. Begin to invite him into those spaces in your life where you haven't given him access to yet. 
Remember at those moments where you find yourself in expectation and disappointment. That God is faithful. That God has provided. That God is for you. God is with you. God is faithful. So the words are up on the screen. And I want us to be able to read them together in one voice before God as a prayer to remind us but to free us. So at the count of three, let's just read this together. One, two, three. Eternal Father, you are good beyond all thought, but I am vile, wretched, miserable, blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel and my ways reluctant to amend. I bring my soul to you, break it, wound it, bend it, mold it, unmask to me sin's deformity, that I may hate it, abhor it, and flee from it. Your loving spirit strives within me, brings me scripture warnings, speaks in startling providences. Allures by secret whispers, yet I choose devices and desires to my own hurt and piously resent, grieve, and provoke him to abandon me. All these sins I mourn, lament, and for them cry pardon. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears yet ever trust and loves. Grant that through the tears of repentance I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if you feel that. But to be able to come before God as we prepare to take part of this communion and you unseal the elements that are before you, reminded us of the significance of the bread being his body and what he had to endure before the cross and on that cross. At this time, you may eat the bread. Jesus at the same time he took the cup and he reminded them of the significance of it as well this is my blood which has been shed for you atoning for our sins people think that salvation is free it's freely given but it costs it costs someone's life and the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. This is a moment for us to remember the sacrifice that was made for you and me. You may drink.